Amen, amen. Good morning, Identity Church. Well, I hope you all had a good week. I know that uh, we've got some some folks that are relaxing in Destin. That sounds like a really good place. We're going to go down to Panama City here in a few weeks. But um, we've got uh, a praise report. Joanne's back is completely and totally healed. That is awesome. Praise God. That is, that's amazing. We've been believing. We've been standing with her. <laughs> She's going to get up and dance. Amen. Amen. We might have a line dance here in just a minute. But, um, you know, and Reba is finally back with us. Amen. Praise God. Her, her knee replacement went well. So, you know, I, I love it when, I love it when we just are walking out God's word. We're walking with his people. You know, every time, every time we stand together in agreement, what does the Bible say? It says that where two or three are gathered together, he is in the midst of us, right? Yeah. That means that when we're agreeing together, man, that's where Jesus is in the middle of. Jesus is in the middle of our agreement. You know where he's not? He's, in, he's not in the middle of our disagreement. Because we don't have strife in Jesus. We don't. We don't, we're not supposed to go against each other's will, right? So we need to come to agreement with his word, not with our feelings, not with our, not with our you know, made up facts sometimes. You know, a lot of times our circumstances, we could just give up, right? I mean, how many years, how many years has people said, well, I've just been, this has just been the way it's been. Well, you know what? God sometimes will, will sit there and go, well, hey, let's try to find another path. That's one of the reasons why Matthew 6, is so important. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, the problem comes down to is a lot of times we just go, well, I've had this for 20 years, so I, well, I worry about it. Well, you know what? We seek first the kingdom of God. He may say, go to the doctor. He may say, believe. He may say, Hey, you're doing something wrong. I love, I love years ago, Kaylee kept having problems with her stomach. Well, heck, it was, self, it was self-damaging. We were giving her medicine for, for, I think it was acne or something like that. Come to find out that in 12% of girls her age, it caused stomach issues. Well, nobody told us that. Nobody told us that. When we went back to the doctor and talked to them, they said, Oh, we didn't even know that. You know, doctors don't know everything. We don't know everything. That's why we seek first the kingdom of God. And he'll go, I remember we were sitting there in her room. She's crying and going, I don't, I'm believing. I'm trying to mom, dad. And we're all praying and everything. And so Heather goes, you know what? I just feel like we need to pray to find out what the problem is. What is the problem? We got an agreement right there within five, less than five seconds. She, Kaylee grabs this tube of stuff and starts rubbing it on her back. And Heather goes, it just was like the Holy Spirit said, that's it. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was literally that fast. The moment she started, what is that you're putting on? Oh, it's my medicine. Heather starts looking it up on the phone. We found out within five minutes of praying and getting together because we sought first the kingdom. Well, actually, we sought first probably, it wasn't, other things, 
I mean, it was probably salt like, you know, 50th on the list to go talk to the Lord about this problem. Because we were just believing and praying and, and standing and talking to the doctors and doing all this stuff. And they were like, everything's good. Everything's good. Well, guess what? Everything wasn't good. And it was the doctor that had prescribed this thing. And so, you know what? If the doctor prescribed it, I'm just going to keep putting it on my, my places, right? But see, that's the thing. The Holy Spirit will go, wait a minute. You're not supposed to be doing that. There's been plenty of medicines that the Lord's told me, go talk to your doctor, quit taking them. You know, I had a doctor that he prescribed me a blood pressure medicine and it started making me have heart palpitations. You know, the thing is, I went back to the doctor. The doctor said, that shouldn't be happening. Okay, we're not going to take that anymore. See, that's the thing that we need to remember is that we are fallible as people, but God knows all things. Amen? Amen. Well, I'll get off that and we'll get on to what we've been talking about. So for the past three weeks, we've been talking about our calling. We've been talking about our purpose in God, our purpose in our ministry, the gifts that Jesus has given us. And, you know, I want, I want to make sure that everybody in here understands their gifts, their calling. Because I will tell you this, if you're trying to do something that someone else is doing and their gift is something completely different than yours, then you're probably going to fail. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you are someone who is a prayer warrior, but now you're trying to be like an evangelist, you're probably going to fail. Because if you know your gifts, if you know your calling, if you know how to use the things that God has put in you and the things that is his will, now you're able to use those effectively. See, ministering effectively has little to do with how much we study. Now, studying's good. Studying is great. It has little to do with our prayer. It has to do more with what his word says. Has more to do with what his word says about you and about our understanding about who we are in Christ Jesus and about what we're supposed to do. Because some people may get into this like backwards theology where they start going, well, I'm supposed to minister to everyone and I'm supposed to pray and lay hands on everyone. And the thing is, is that you should go and talk to people about Jesus. But you know what? An evangelist can break through the, the hard, crusty shell. But I've also sat there and lost friendships, relationships, because I didn't know how to minister to people. I didn't know the way to minister to people. And, I, and it wasn't my duty to minister to all those people. Now, we have to understand our place, our calling. You know, some, a calling that God may have is that when all of a sudden he goes, hey, go talk to Charlie. Hey, go talk to Jenny. And that's a calling that God may go do. And, and I go and I talk to them. And God equips me to be able to do that at the time. But there again, I may not. There again, I may not have been told to go talk to Charlie and I just go tick Charlie off. You don't want to tick off Charlie. 
You know? But I mean, well, God, you said go and preach the gospel to all the people. Well, the thing is, is that if, if I'm sitting there and I get resistance and I have no call, like I don't know how to talk to Charlie. God's not leading Charlie's heart to have this moment. There's plenty of people out there in the world I want to grab a hold of and I want to just shake them and tell them about Jesus. And I've done that and they basically go, I don't want it. That's, that's fine. That's good for you to go and push on somebody, maybe. But, you know, watering a seed and jerking one up off out of the ground is two different things, okay? Watering a seed is, here's some word, and I'm going to go, after I've watered, I'm not going to drown them, okay? I think too often we drown people. People are like, I can own, my seed can only handle so much. My ground can only take so much water. You know what? We've had a lot of groundwater issues here lately. A couple weeks ago, we had so much water that my basement flooded. When the ground is too saturated, you kill the seed. It's automatic ejection. And so what we have to understand is that when the Holy Spirit is dealing with us and He is calling us and He's saying, go talk to that person then we water or plant. We do the calls that he says. It's almost like to seek first the kingdom of God. It is. Before I go talk to somebody, I need to seek first the kingdom of God. Lord, what are you telling me about this? Are you calling me to talk to someone? Are you calling me to go into this situation? There's plenty of situations where people have family members that have passed away or there's something, and I go, my heart goes out to them. And I want to do something. And the Holy Spirit, I pray about it, and the Holy Spirit says, don't go. You're not the one. You're not the one. I'll tell you a, I'll tell you a story. And I, today, is, today is going to be uh, free form. I, I'll, I'll do a little bit of teaching here but, uh, in a minute. But I'll tell you a story. I was in Bible college. I was over off Oxmoor where uh, Karis Bible College was here in Birmingham. And as I normally did every time I was over there, I went to Full Moon over there off of Oxmoor and in Green Springs area. And I'm in there. I walk in and there's a, a guy and a girl, probably about my age, right around the same, same age as I am. They're they're standing there and they're just looking. And they're, this guy is talking really loud. Well, what do you want, honey? And what do you want to do? You know, what kind of food? What, what do you, get anything you want. And she's just kind of standing there like, uh, you can tell they're both on drugs. And so I go walking in and the guy goes, come on, buddy, come on by us. We're still trying to figure it out. I said, oh, okay. And I said, um, the Holy Spirit, as I was about to start ordering, said, buy their food. So I turned around and looked at him and said, you know what? The Lord just told me to buy your food. I want to bless you guys. This guy was like, oh my God, thank you, thank you. So I go, we buy, I mean, I bought them whatever they wanted. I mean, I probably spent 60 bucks at full moon. And I didn't even have a rack of ribs or anything. <laughs> I mean, they were just like piling on the food, but you could tell they had not ate. She was like almost out of it. 
So they come, they sat down with me. We got to talking. I got to, I got to ministering to them. I prayed for them, everything. I found out that the girl was from West Jefferson. So I get to ministering to her, and she, I said, do you, know, do you know where you would go if you were to die today? And she said, I really don't know. I said, she goes, I've been a drug addict. I've done some horrible things. And I said, I said, well, I said, I can give you the guarantee right this minute. I said, do you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I said, if you believe that and you confess him, then you shall be saved. And so we, we prayed that prayer right there in the middle of the full moon over there on Green Springs. The guy gave me his number it was like, hey, and I told him, I said, Let, let's get you in a drug rehab facility. Let's do this. I was talking to people. I was trying to get them in a place. I actually put them in my car and I drove them over to a hotel and I got them a hotel room for the night. I've never done this before. Never had done this before. I felt like I should do it. So I go, I go and I leave. In fact, I think it was the last day of my Karis you know, time. It was like the very last class day. So anyway, about three or four days later, shocker, I go to full moon over in Fultondale. Okay. But it was not of my own volition. It was, uh, pastor Brad Holloman calls me up and says, Hey, I'd really like to have lunch with you today. Um, let, let's go over there. And Brad doesn't like to eat at full moon. He worked there, but he didn't, that was not like his favorite place. If he was going to pick a place, that was not going to be it. Especially back then. And so he said, well, let's meet at full moon. It'll be easy. We'll just do that. I said, okay. So we get over there. We do church business. Me and him were pastoring together. I get done with my meeting, and I'm, of course, covered in rib sauce and juice and everything. So I go in the bathroom, and I'm washing my hands. And all of a sudden, I, I turn around. I, I open the door. And Mr. Tuggle, you know, Brad Tuggle's dad, is standing in the doorway. And he goes, and he reaches and grabs my arms. Now, I don't, believe, I don't understand, like, you don't understand what the Holy Spirit is doing. Okay? You have no clue what he's doing at any point in time. Because most of the time you think, I didn't do one daggum thing. He grabs me, he just opened the door, he reaches and he grabs my arms and he said, you prayed for Alicia. And I go, what? Alicia who? He goes, Alicia, you prayed for her, you got her saved. And I go, what are you talking about? I was like, Mr. Tuggle, what is going on? I mean, I think, are you having a stroke? I mean, what is going on here? He goes, the girl the other day, last Saturday, you prayed for her. You got her saved. And I said, yes, yes. I mean, it was like, yes, I, I did. And he goes, she died of a drug overdose last night or day before yesterday. They found the guy that, the guy you were with that was with her left her at a fire station. Now, Come to find out, none of that was true. She did die of a drug overdose. 
Because I called the guy and I talked to him. Anyway, but he, his, Miss Tuggle said, can you come to the, can you come to the funeral this afternoon? And I said, yeah, I'll come. So I took a half day off. And I went down there and everybody, I mean, I walked in, I was just going to stand there. I was just going to, and all these people started coming up to me. And they gathered around me and said, can you tell me about her getting saved? Can you tell me about her last minutes before she got saved? And I told them what I could tell them. And I said, I did this and I did this, but, but she accepted Jesus right there in the middle of that full moon. And what happened was people started going, I want that. So I had five, six people standing around me and I told them about Jesus and people prayed with me. And it was a moment that I was called to do. It was not something that I go do every day. In fact, I said, I've told y'all before, I've never done that before. There's a lot of that I've never done before and since have not done. I don't go looking for people in full moons and say I'm going to buy and I want to I buy your food and I want to pray with you but it was a moment that Jesus said would you go and buy them something would you go and do this see a call can be a thing a moment in time but it can also be something that you do all your life it is not one or the other it's both and we can continuously get called every single day. And because of one call, another call can come. And because of another call, you know, the Holy Spirit is so good because he'll just say, do this one thing. He didn't tell me to pray for him. He didn't even tell me to eat with him. He told me to buy him a meal. And this guy and this girl was so drawn to it that they were drawn to the gospel and I planted a seed, I watered a seed and I reaped a harvest all at the same time. And this girl has passed away and in heaven. Now, did she have bad problems? Absolutely. But she got saved. See, what I want you guys to understand is that when God calls us, it can be for a moment, it can be for a lifetime, but we all get called. You all get called based upon your gifts, based upon your ministry gifts. So getting into this a little bit, I, I talked about this last, last week, that we all, that there are diversity of gifts but the same spirit. And that some people, that they have prophecies, some people, that they they work in different ways as uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. But see, we all work together in the same body. There's some people who are mouthpieces. There's some people that are hands. There's some people that are feet. We even talked about this last week. There are some people who are rear ends. You gotta get around everybody's place, okay? That was supposed to be a joke, so. Anyway, I just want everybody to know that these word diversities here, the word differences, it means a distinction. 
You have a distinct call. You have a distinct purpose. Now, are there other people who are going to have the same distinctions? Absolutely. But just like we talked about last week, a lot of times we try to group all those people together in the same type of churches. Oh, we've got to get all mouthpieces together. We've got to get all hands. We've got to get all feet. And you know what? The problem is, is that you don't move the body very good. We need that distinctions to be in the same body. We need to work together to do that. You know, we can find that, those things out, um, you know, and where our pieces fit. And, you know, we also have the ministry gifts that are out there. Ephesians 4 talks about he gave some apostles, he gave some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we talked about the hand of, of the fivefold ministry, that the apostle is like the pioneer, the, the messenger, and it's like the thumb on the hand. It works with all the other fingers on the hand. The, the actual apostle works with the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. In fact, a lot of times they, they'll flow in many of those offices as they are setting up churches, as they're setting up places all over the world. You know, apostles have that, I'm going to go in, I'm going to help. They're a little bit like the Marines. You know, the Navy drops the Marines off, they go in there and they like, you know, blow everything up and get it ready for the Army to set up a base. That's kind of the way that this works, is the apostle goes in and he says, hey, I'm going to establish some stuff. I'm going to help get some stuff started. But the pointer finger is like the prophet. He points and leads the way that God is trying to do. The evangelist is like the middle finger, not the California Howdy piece of it, but he's out in front of all the other fingers. In fact, a lot of times you'll see that the apostle will have an evangelist with him and will send the evangelist out in front of him to go and proclaim the gospel, to start telling people because they have a, a gift and anointing to be able to, to hit the, these areas and get people to come into the church. And the ring finger uh, is, is like the pastor. And it's a little bit like this. You know, I, I know medically all veins go to the heart, but in the past they would say that it's the, it's the, the heart vein goes from the ring finger. But that's what a pastor does is he leads, he nurtures, he, he brings people along. And then the little finger is the, uh, the stabilizing, the teacher. The teacher actually stabilizes, like when they said when you're, when you're using a sword, if you don't have a pinky finger, you can't hit that same mark over and over and over again because it helps to turn it helps to stabilize the sword. Well, the same thing with the teacher. Teaching helps to stabilize what is going on in the church, to stabilize those in the body. So last week I kind of told you that there's ways of being able to understand your tool, uh, your gifts via some of these tools. I gave y'all giftstest.com. I don't know if any of y'all actually went and did it. It's, it's a fun little thing to, to be able to, to see Kind of the way, it, all it's doing is highlighting the things that is on your heart, really more than anything. As you can see, back in 2017, I had these that come up. Healing, teaching, discernment, giving, leadership. Well, now I'm more teaching, healing, discernment, miracles, faith. 
takes a lot of God's just remaining faith to say, hey, we're going to establish something. We're going to start a church. We're going to do some things that we've never done before. As you can see, I flip-flopped in a couple of these areas. One of the things that I think is kind of interesting, you know, discernment to me also falls into some of the, the, the prophetic type stuff too because if you can discern an area, then you can help lead people out of something. And that's all a prophet really is trying to do. A prophet is trying to take what's going on and he's trying to lead people in the way God has for themselves, the church, and others. And so um, those are kind of some of the areas that have just hit me. I would really love if you guys, if you guys actually decide to do this. I'd like to hear what y'all's are. You've already done it? What's yours, buddy? So my number one is pastor or shepherd. Uh, my number two is exhortation. Number three is service. Four is helps and five is discernment. That is awesome. See, you actually got the number one that most people that are in the pulpit want to have. Okay? And probably don't have. There's a lot of them that don't have pastor. Now, I'm gonna, we're about to go through and I'm about to show you four different ministry gifts that happened in the New Testament. And you'll see, once I show them to you and I show what happened, you go, oh yeah, those are the particular ministry gifts in action in the word. But see, you know, I'll tell you this, Pastor Brad, he's actually, that's like his number one. And what we find out is, is those people are usually doing what Pastor Brad does. He goes and finds people and tries to give his pulpit away. Or, I mean, like, he literally is like, hey, I'll, he, when, he, when we came on, he was like, anytime you want to teach, anytime you want to do something, he would go, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? He was trying to undergird the people in his church. He was being a pastor. That doesn't happen a lot. There's not a lot of pastors. I'm going to be honest with you. There's not, there's a lot of people who are teachers and they're like, oh, I, I'm, the word, I'm going to teach you the word. And you know, I will tell you this. I think sometimes you need those giftings based upon, and God will change you. Because as you can see, I've changed since 2017, the things that are on my heart. The older I get, the more towards pastor I get. But I've been a teacher. I've had a lot of things that are in this discernment piece of it. And there are times where I think we're going to need a pastor to undergird some folks, to bring them under their wing. And I think the Lord will end up changing the way that I do things based upon the congregation that I have because God's callings will change. Like I said, I've, things that are on my heart today and the gifts that are on my heart right now, completely different than they were five years ago. Completely different. Way different than 10 years ago. I'll just tell you straight up. But I'm going to get into talking to you guys a little bit about these four areas of ministry. I'm leaving the teacher out. And the reason why I'm leaving teacher out is because the teacher is pretty much falls in line with a lot of these different areas. Okay? It falls in line with a lot of these. In fact, we'll see that the Apostle Paul, which is our first one up, the Apostle, he has a teaching gift too. 
He's trying to establish the church. He's trying to stabilize it. So he teaches. So as we can see, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Barnabas are the four people we're going to talk about. And they all fall in line with the apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor. So Paul, he was from Tarsus, right? He was actually a Jewish person born around, um, he was actually older than Jesus. They actually believed that he was several years older than Jesus, that he was born in 4 BC, around that time frame. So they actually believed that he was probably somewhere around four or five years older than, than, than Jesus. Um, and essentially, uh, Tarsus is in Turkey. It's a Turkish um, you know, town. Um, and he was, he was uh, killed uh, around 62 to 64 um, you know, AD, basically. But what we, what we see here is that, you know, Paul or Saul, so Paul is his, his, his Roman name, and, and Saul is, is the actual Jewish name that he had. You know, Saul, of course, we know that he was, uh, you know, he actually studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, of course, according to what he said in his word. But Paul was this person that, you know, when he was, before he got a hold of Jesus Christ, he was on his way to being somebody who was going to be big. In fact, he was going out, he was killing Jewish people. He would go to the Sanhedrin and say, I'm going to be your, I'm going to be your bright and shining light to get rid of these Christians. They thought he was great because he would go off and he would do all these he would do all these things. He didn't care. He was a fire, fiery little guy. He'd go out and he would take care of these Christian people that were coming against the Jewish faith. And you know what? Jesus got a hold of him on, on the road to Damascus. Basically put him down and said, hey, you're either going to get up, Paul, and go do what I tell you to do, or I, I think Jesus is going to take him out because he was going to destroy the church. That's how... That's how fiery he was, and that's how zealous he was for what he was doing. So Jesus says, I'm going to go convert the most zealous guy that I know, and I'm going to turn him into an apostle. He's going to do a lot of things and have to blaze a lot of trails. That's one of the reasons why you saw Paul go into places, and they would stone him, and he'd get right back up and preach. You know, the apostle Paul was a pretty amazing guy. He was. Because I got news for you. After I got stoned once or twice, I mean, that's got to be something that makes you go, Jesus. Well, he actually did. I think he, Jesus, take this thorn from me. Let's, let's get, I want to stop this hurting part of it. But as we see here in Romans 1.1, Paul said that he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated for the gospel of God. In verse five and six, it says, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. So Paul is establishing that his apostleship through Jesus Christ was given to him by Jesus. This is not something that he just decided to do. He said, hey, I'm a bond servant. 
Jesus came in and basically said, you're going to do this or are you going to get gone? He was the only one, by the way, that was ever done this way. No, Jesus has never went and struck somebody down except for Paul. So Paul said, hey, I, not only do I want to do it, I got to do it. Jesus told me, you're going to do this, boy. You're going to do it or I'm going to strike you down again. See, this is the thing. Paul said yes, but he also was obedient because of the grace of God. See, Paul was meant and gifted to be an apostle. He was gifted to be that trailblazer. You know, he was using it for someone else. How many people have you known in the world, if you listen to their music, like, you know, an artist, that you just said, if they would just turn over their life to Jesus, what kind of awesome praise and worship or what kind of, how, how would their anointing be? You know, this was the same thing with Paul. There are people on the Christian side going, this guy's a bad man. I wish I had him on this side. Well, Jesus flipped him. He established over 20 churches in uh, Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. He wrote 13 named letters, 14 if you count Hebrews. I kind of believe Hebrews was written by him just because of the, the way everything is worded. Um, so Paul was an establisher of ministers. Phoebe. So Phoebe is not just a person on friends. Phoebe was actually a person that was from uh, a place in eastern Corinth called uh, Cherea. But Phoebe actually ran that church. Phoebe was the kind of person that was going to minister. So if somebody says, hey, there was never women ministers, I'm going to tell you, you don't know the Bible because there was a ton of them. In fact, the first minister that that Jesus sent out to go preach the gospel. Do y'all know who the first minister was to go preach the gospel? Who was it? The woman at the well. He kept his own 12 disciples with him and said, no, y'all aren't ready. This, this woman right here, she's ready to go preach. She knows that I'm the Messiah. Peter wasn't the first one, by the way, to know that she was a Messiah. It was the woman at the well. See, we tend to take what Paul said about certain churches and we, we want to apply Paul's idealisms about that church because he was having issues with women at certain places. Do you know in the Roman world that women ruled a lot of things? They were very much like, hey, I'm going to take this thing over. Do you know that, that Paul is not always when he's talking about these women is he talking about all women? He was just talking about those women. Hey, we got to get some. We got to get some strategy here about how people talk and teach with each other. And plus, he also said a lot of things that was just his beliefs. That wasn't commandments from the Lord. So we need to understand the context. But you had Phoebe. You had Priscilla and Aquila. I mean. Priscilla was actually, you know, Priscilla was fiery, got out there. They actually believe she spoke more than Aquila. Aquila was actually a Jew, and he, was, he married 
uh, Priscilla. And she was from somewhere in Italy. But they moved to Rome, and that's where Paul found them. You know, when, when Paul went to Mars Hill and all that kind of stuff, Priscilla and Aquila was the people that he found uh, out there. They were deacons at Corinth. They were ministers there. Uh, Timothy. Timothy was like a son. He was from Ephesus. And Timothy was actually a, um, you know, he was a, a Gentile. He was from that area. Basically, Timothy was a, was a man that had, you know, that had Paul's zeal, had Paul's belief system. He grew, he grew up under Paul, basically. Um, Onibasus, uh, he was the slave. In fact, you'll find uh, Onibasus's name, I know I'm probably butchering it, but Onesimus. Okay, Onesimus, it means, the name means to be profitable in the Greek. But essentially, he was a slave and, and Philemon was his master. Now, you, if you go and look up uh, Onesimus, he had, he was all through the Bible. In fact, most of the time that, that uh, Paul, at the very end of his letters, he would start talking, especially in Romans and, and all the, you know, first and second Corinthians, his name is there. Basically, he ran away from his master and he went and found Paul because Paul had established his church right there. So anyway, that's what the whole book of Philemon is about is Paul trying to get uh, Onesimus back into good graces with Philemon. And he not only wanted to get him back into good graces, he also told him, he said, hey, I want you to put to, to my account anything that he might have done. And I don't want you to look at him as a slave anymore. I want you to look at him as a brother. So Paul was trying to break some of those, those idealisms about slavery, even within the church. So, um, so essentially, you know, Paul established these ministries. That was his purpose. That was what God told him to go do. And he did it throughout all of the Asian world. Now, basically, Paul had to have help. And Paul employed other people's gifts as he was going and doing these things. So Silas, it actually tells us that Silas is a prophet. In fact, in he, Silas, also you can find his name to be Silvius. Um, <clears throat> that is like one of his, that's his Roman name rather than a Greek name. But um, in Acts 15, 27, it says, And we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by the word of the mouth, for it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Verse 29 says that you may abstain from the things offered to idols of blood, for, uh, for things strangled from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you'll do well. Farewell, so that um, so when they... Oh, I don't know. I'll just read it from here. Uh, and it says, it says uh, right here in verse 31, it says, 
when they had read it, they rejoiced and were encouraged. Verse 32 says, Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brothers with many words. So, so essentially, they were showing and, and, and attempting to show that these words that were, that the letters that were being sent, that they were going to have these prophets, Judas and Silas, go out and, and basically point them in the right direction. Help discern some things. Because we have to understand, Silas was actually, he was Roman. So he actually knew more about their customs and about their ways than if the Jews just came and said things to them. Now, Acts 15 is dealing with this idealism of circumcision. Okay? See, circumcision was... There was these Jews that had come into the church that wanted the law of Moses to be taught and that wanted, the, wanted circumcision to happen. So basically, if you're a 35-year-old man, you got saved, you had to be circumcised. How many people want to sign up? <laughs> Not me, okay? So this was, this, was what this, uh, this was what Silas and them was encouraging the church to do is that when these Jews came into the church, point them in the right direction. Be a prophet in this church. Take these teachings and expound upon them. Give them the ability to be able to point people in the right direction. And as long as they stay away from, hey, these idols and sexual immorality and things like that, then they're going to be fine. Let's, let's not set boundaries on people to where they have to go and get circumcised, to where they have to go and follow the law of Moses. Because we find out that the law of Moses was only designed for the Israelis. It was to lead the Israeli church, or church, the country. <clears throat> so essentially, their job was to go and be prophets to those, to those people in that area and to root out old bad doctrines. Because they did. They would they'd sacrifice to idols. They would, I mean, a lot of their temples was set up to be prostitution camps. I mean, it was crazy kind of stuff. So go and teach the people the right things and not another thing they have to do that's not going to help them out. We also see in Acts 16.25 that Silas was a person that also, you know, a lot of times we think, well, Paul was the one that actually wielded all the, the, the you know, power and, and, you know, he was out there preaching and, and the power. I mean, every time Silas uh, was called upon, it was because Paul was in trouble. So Paul and Silas, they get thrown in prison. About midnight, they start praising God. In Acts uh, 16, it tells us that that the prison was shaken and that their chains were loosed. They actually stayed in prison. So I believe Silas actually worked in miracles and he did pretty awesome things, just like Ezekiel did, just like, uh, just like Elijah, just like Elisha. He was a prophet. He was somebody that said, hey, I'm going to stand up and point the right way to God. We notice that 
In fact, in Acts 17, Acts 18, 2 Corinthians, and 1 and 2 Thessalonians, every time Paul would go do something and he'd get in trouble, he would call Timothy and he'd call Silas. Come over here, help me out. I'm in prison. See, Silas was somebody that he knew had authority and power, and he used his gift as a brother of Christ Jesus. Now, Timothy is a named evangelist. Paul actually said he's an evangelist. See, Timothy was from, was a resident of Lystra. Uh, his, his father was Greek and his mother was uh, Jewish. In fact, they believe that Timothy and John were, were probably somewhere in the ballpark of about you know, died around the same time because there was so much persecution going on in the church uh, in Turkey, Ephesus, all these other places. Um, in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5, uh, Paul is exhorting Timothy to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convict, exhort with all longsuffering and uh, rebuke and teach. And he's telling in verse 3, For the time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, being watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. See, this is the thing that that Timothy would be sent in. Him and Silas was Paul's go over here and start doing your jobs. Timothy would go in there and be the evangelist. He'd get people to come in. He would get them saved. And then Silas would be over there teaching. And then Paul would come along sometime later and just be the apostle. Hey, I helped establish all this stuff. What else is needed? But essentially, Timothy and Silas worked together a lot of times because Paul would send them out to go do these things. So, you know, I imagine this would have been very hard, especially during this time frame. You know, a lot of people think of Timothy as being the young guy that Paul's having to always undergird. Really, Paul, if you read the letters the right way, Timothy's out there and he's breaking down doors. And Paul's really trying to get him to relax a little I mean he's the evangelist that's out there and he's he's over there and he's like fiery I'm getting people saved and there's people I mean he was getting beaten whipped and everything just like Paul but see Timothy was the one that was going out there and breaking the doors down and Paul was kind of like hey take care of yourself too be be um understanding of where you need to be. He would tell him things like, hey, go drink a little wine because the water's bad. You got these stomach things that are going on. He was trying to tell him, hey, look, take care of yourself too. And see, that's what the apostle would do. In fact, I think we need more apostles in churches. We need people that come along that go and tell a pastor or go tell somebody in that's leading a church, hey, it's gonna be okay. See, that's what Paul was continuously doing through his letters. It's going to be okay. 
Believe, be in faith. Philippians, I love that book because he was exhorting Philippians so hard. He didn't rebuke them not one time. He was trying to give, get them into the right place. In fact, in 1 Timothy, he says, you know, this I charge and commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made about you, about him being an evangelist, that by them you may be able to wage good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, uh, which have, some have rejected, concerning the faith by suffering shipwrecked, or that word being stranded, uh, of whom, uh, you know, Hymenius and uh, Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan that they may, uh, that they may not blaspheme. I mean, you're in the middle of a country where they worship people like Diana. They worship, you know, Greek gods. They do all this stuff. You'd go in and start talking about Jesus Christ and they would beat or stone you or they would come against you or they would say things about you, reject you. And they would go into the church and they would try to break the church up. And see, this is the thing. Timothy was an evangelist. He, that evangelist, it, evangelistic gift is to wage that frontline war, to go out there and to fight those things that, that, have hap- that people have different beliefs. Those, those people are gifted. I think of somebody like, a, um, I think of um, like White, um, Todd White awesome evangelist he goes in the middle of muslim areas and starts preaching the gospel and getting people saved it's amazing to watch him if you ever get to watch any of his videos um but essentially that's what that's what happened timothy was in prison was in prison himself for preaching against the um the greek goddess uh diana which is uh, Artemis also. Um, around, eight, uh, around 80 years old, Timothy was martyred because he was actually at a feast for Diana, got up in the middle of it, started proclaiming Jesus Christ. You know, within 100 years of all this, basically, Diana was gone. Other religions came in and they, they tore down everything. And then in 200, uh, I mean 384 AD, where all of the temples for Diana was at, they actually built churches. Do you know the, that all these people did this? Most of them were martyred because they were out there trailblazing. They were out there doing things. And you know what? They had people like Paul that was undergirding them, helping them. But Paul was just an apostle. I actually believe that one of the best examples, and y'all have heard me say this before, is my friend Barnabas. I believe Barnabas was a pastor. Now, I didn't say he was a pastor, but I believe he was a pastor, and there's several reasons why I believe this. And I believe that Barnabas was probably one of the greatest men in the Bible because some of the greatest men in the Bible needed him. Needed him more than they ever thought they needed him. In fact, they probably wouldn't have even gotten started without Barnabas. In fact, Barnabas was actually a Levite Jew that lived in Cyprus. 
So, I mean, he, he didn't just know, you know, Israel. He also lived out in, in the midst of the Roman Empire. Acts 9.26 tells us that when Saul had come to Jerusalem, so this is after he had had his Damascus uh, road experience. In Damascus, he went and he was, he was preaching and, and teaching. And it says, and <clears throat> he tried to join those Jews in Jerusalem, uh, but they were all afraid of him. So think about this. Paul or Saul was, was commissioned to go kill Christians, to imprison them, to do all this stuff. Well, now he says, you know, Jesus came and did all this, and now he wants to become like a disciple and be in the midst of us in Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, that's a great plan. Let's go ahead and bring him in the middle of us. I mean, if I was Peter, I'd be like, no. No way. Get the heck away from us. Because this man had completely decimated churches. He had completely rejected, denied everything that had to do with Christ. And now he just all of a sudden shows up. Well, guess who shows up in his defense? In verse 27 of, of Acts 9, it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Barnabas, the pastor, said, hey guys, I vouch for him. I see something in him. I know, he's, I know what he's saying is right because I'm the one that's going to undergird him. If you want to blame somebody, you blame me, but he's going to come in and go out because I know who he is and I know what he has done. See, Barnabas had to set things straight. Barnabas was the pastor that brought him in and said, I believe in him. In fact, in Acts 11, we see Barnabas did the exact same thing. See, just a few, so he stayed there for a few years. But after he'd stayed there, Paul had stayed there for a few years in Jerusalem. Basically, there was so much persecution, so many things coming against the Jerusalem church he went back to Tarsus. And he stayed in Tarsus for a few years. And in Acts eleven twenty five, it says, Barnabas departed for uh, Tarsus to seek Saul. And when, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Barnabas was commissioned by the church to go to Antioch and to start a ministry there. Well, Paul had pretty much kind of given up. I'm going back home. There's nothing more I can do here. I'm just not going to go and persecute the Christians. Well, Barnabas said, nope, we're going to go fulfill your call. He went to Tarsus, found him out, went the opposite direction of Antioch, picked him up, went and took him there because he believed in him, saw the call in him. That's what a pastor does. And it says, it says that, so that it was for a whole year that they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You know, without Barnabas, we wouldn't have had a Paul. We wouldn't have had those 13, 14 books. We wouldn't have had another book that is actually pretty important. 
I get a lot out of it. In fact, it says um, in Acts 15, 37, now Barnabas was determined to take this person called John that was called Mark. We kind of know this person because he wrote the gospel of Mark. He wrote the gospel according to Mark. You know, without John Mark, we would have never had that gospel. And Paul was pretty much tired of him. You know why? Because he was a whiny little kid. I don't want to go preach to people and be stoned. I mean, how many kids would? I mean, you know, but at the time, he was a little bit like everybody is. I don't know if I want to do this. Well, you know what? Paul had already gotten the bug. He had already been undergirded. He had been going around doing all this stuff. There was nothing left. Paul was like, if he's not going to be with us and he's, he's not going to be quiet and just do his job, then I don't want to take him. You know what? Because of that, we find out here, but Paul insisted in verse 38 of, of Acts 15, that Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in uh, Pamphylia. So basically he left them. Stuff was going on. He didn't want to be there anymore. Um, you know, when I was a kid, this is a little bit, dad was a little bit like Paul. I still remember this. I was, when I was a kid, I was spending the night with Nana and Papa. And I'd gotten into this thing where they would get in the car and they'd be about halfway down the street and I would go, no, I want to go home. I don't know, I was probably, what, six years old or so. And then they would flag them down, they'd come back and I, and then I would go, no, I want to stay. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of the way Paul, Paul was a little bit like dad. Dad looked at me and said, when we get home, you're getting a whipping. <laughs> you know, Paul was done with him. You're either going to stay or you're going to go, but you're going to do something. And I'm not going to deal with you anymore after this. But it says here in verse 39, and the contention became so sharp that they departed one another. It's actually in some church writings, they had a fist fight. Barnabas said, nope, he's coming with us, or by God, we're not going. And so they, they sharply departed from each other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Now, I want you to understand something. You know, Paul and, and Barnabas was a team. And Mark broke the band up. You know, if... If in my lifetime, you know, I ever thought about, you know, people that I couldn't get along with or we had some sort of falling out or there was something going on, I probably would have said, well, I'll never talk about that person. I'll never do anything else again. But you know what's so awesome about the family of God is that people can see where they were right and where they were wrong. And the Holy Spirit deals with us. And you know the best thing about that is is when the Holy Spirit actually deals with us as Paul was dealt with later by the Holy Spirit that we find out that, that people are useful. People have a gift and we just don't write them off. Paul wrote him off. Barnabas said, no, I'm going to stick up for him because I see more. 
because Barnabas was a pastor and Paul was the apostle. He was like, let's get in there, get it done. Let's get out of here. But Barnabas was like, you know what? Sometimes we've got to stay around a little bit longer and nurture these people. We've got to help them to go to that next level because they may get scared and run away. Well, if they get scared and run away, do we just, do we just not do anything about that? And the answer is no. You need those pastors, those people that undergird, that help to nurture people. So we actually see in 2 Timothy 4.11 that one of Paul's requests was to, um, because he only had Luke with him, he said, Mark, uh, get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for the ministry. So by the time 2 Timothy come around, which was like 20 years later, Paul was like, I love that, that John Mark guy. He's useful to the ministry. He's useful to me. You know, that, that's one of the things that we need to understand is that just because somebody's not really good at what you think they should be good at right now, that time is what the Holy Spirit needs. And that, that's what we need to do is we need to have those people who undergird that are pastors that bring people up because eventually people are going to be profitable. I think that's a part of our society that has got us down is we all want to have the fast food mentality. Oh, well, it better be good now. Well, half-baked stuff is not good. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, there's a place over here called Tortugas. You, get, you can get a, like a big pie. You can get it half-baked. Well, it's not fully baked. So you go eat it, you're going to get raw ingredients. It's going to be bad. You're supposed to bring it home and take the extra time to actually cook it all the way through. That's what Jesus is telling us through his gifts is, I'm not going to just gift somebody. The moment somebody, in fact, that's what we try to do is we'll go and find a celebrity and we'll, we'll go and we'll put him in the pulpit. He got saved two days ago. Let's go ahead and put him in the pulpit. It is bad, bad, bad. They did it to Justin Bieber. They did it to all these other people. And guess what? They're going to let you down because they haven't fully baked. See, we need to understand that God is trying to bake us and get us to the right temperature. He's trying to get us to the right point to where our gift is good and useful. That's what Paul actually says. Bring John Mark because he is useful to me for ministry. You know, that, that's what I think each and every one of us needs to do is we need to say, Lord, what are you telling us? What are you telling me? What are the calling and the gifts and the things that you got for me right now? And how am I in my temperature here? Am I fully baked to be able to do this? Or do I need to do something else? You know, the, the Holy Spirit's really awesome because he'll show you. He'll tell you. He'll get you to a point to where you can actually fulfill the callings because he doesn't repent of those callings. Whenever he tells you to do something, he's like, I'm still here, still waiting. 
you know, time is not anything to God. But see, we all have gifts. We all have callings. Amen. Did y'all learn something today? Yes. Yes. Amen.